Kids, I hope you have a a great time in the back. If you're remaining in the room, I'd encourage you to to turn to Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16, uh, it's also uh, printed in the bulletin for you, and it should be on uh, the screens as well behind me. Um, If you've been with us this summer, you'll know we've been uh, in a theme called Finding God in the Wilderness. And one of the things that we discovered is that a seemingly countless number of people of faith that we read about in the scriptures were driven into either the wilderness or in the desert uh, at some point in their lives uh, or multiple points in their lives. Uh, Their circumstances, for whatever reason, uh, conspired in such a way uh, that they were driven into a very isolated and vulnerable place where they often felt very helpless. It's interesting that it was not in the temple, but it was there in the wilderness that they made a profound connection with God. We started by looking at uh, the story of of Hagar and Ishmael and how twice they were driven into the wilderness because of their experiences. Uh, They cried out to God. God saw them. He heard their cries, and he visited them, making promises. We saw a similar thing in Jacob in the book of Genesis. Twice he was driven into the wilderness as well. The first time he had a dream about a ladder, but it didn't really seem to make a profound change in his life. But the second time he was in the wilderness, he wrestled with the angel of the Lord, and it broke him. Really, uh, it changed him forever. He was never the same person again. Now, you and I have never probably felt threatened by exile or being driven into, into the wilderness, at least physically, but we all know what it's like to be lost in a circumstantial wilderness, a place in our lives where we just feel sort of out of control of our circumstances, where we feel maybe isolated, where we feel vulnerable. It might be a physical wilderness, it might be an emotional one, it might be a spiritual one, or it could be all of the above at the same time. We're left feeling dry and lifeless, we feel hungry and thirsty, we are emotionally and spiritually spent in every way. For some of us, it might take the form of a spiritual lethargy, we're sort of lost in half-hearted emotions towards God and His call on our lives, we're We're apathetic towards God and his work that is happening all around us. And this may have been Moses' problem, as we saw last week. Moses spent 40 years of his life in the wilderness. If you know his story, he was raised in affluence and power, but towards the middle age of his life, he got angry, he killed a man, tried to get away with it, but couldn't. Everybody discovered it, and so he became a fugitive. He ran away and spent uh, time in the wilderness. He uh, spent the rest of his life, he was happy to spend the rest of his life in the wilderness, on the sidelines, but God had different plans for Moses at the burning bush. God wakes Moses up from his spiritual lethargy, and he casts him into the mission of God. He promises Moses to take all of his inadequacies and use them as an occasion for God's strength. D.L. Moody said this about Moses. He said, Moses spent 40 years thinking he was somebody, 40 years learning he was a nobody, and 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. I thought that was a great quote. 
So in the end, God uses Moses to deliver his people from their Egyptian enslavement, but the work for Moses wasn't done, and God wasn't finished with his people either. Now it was time for God's people to be in the wilderness and to learn the lessons that God has for them in that time period. So I'm going to be reading from Exodus chapter 16, a little longer section than we normally read on a Sunday morning, but I just didn't feel like I could cut it up in one way or another. So we're going to be reading Exodus chapter 16, verses 1 to 35. Again, you can follow along in your bulletin or on the screen behind me. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill us, to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in a cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather that each one of you, as much as he can eat, you shall take an omer according to the number of the persons that uh, that each of you has in his tent. People of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat, but when the sun grew hot, it melted. 
On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each, and when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day, so the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations, so that you may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness, and I brought you out of the land of Egypt." And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. This is God's word. Father, thanks so much for your word. Thank that it is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And what that means is uh, that it has tremendous power to change our hearts, to help us to see your greatness and the truth of the gospel. Pray that as we come to your word this morning, Lord, that your spirit would come as promised to help us to understand it, to help us to apply it to our lives and to help it to stoke our worship of you. So we commit our next few moments to you and pray for your spirit to come. It's in Christ's name that we pray, amen. So this story is a rich one, and we won't get to all the details, but the setting is that God's people had been instructed to head to Mount Sinai, which is also called Mount Horeb. And that was the same place, if you were with us last week, that was the same place where God met Moses in the form of a burning bush. Uh, But after they left Egypt, it would take them a little while to get there. Some people figure it would probably take about two months, and they would be wandering in the desert in that two-month period. And it would take that long because the people of Israel, or the Hebrew people, were probably numbering about a million at this point after they had left the land of Egypt. On their way out, they had plundered Egypt. God had provided for them uh, from the stores of the Egyptians. But of course, after a little while, those food stores uh, start to draw a little thin. And even when they start drawing thin, the people are in the wilderness. They are in the desert. And what we know about wilderness and desert is that food and water are often not very abundant when they are in the desert. And so the situation gets from bad to worse. In fact, the situation gets quite grim. How could they feed close to a million mouths while being in the desert? And so everybody starts to panic, as you can imagine. They start to grumble. 
they start to complain. And if you keep reading in the book of Exodus and even Numbers and into Deuteronomy, this is going to become a pattern for God's people. Situations get grim, they start to grumble, and they start to complain. But what they say in verse 3 is is so absurd that it's almost comical. They say in verse 3, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, then our wishing for death back in their enslavement. And then they say, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. Now, of course, this is a little bit of revisionist history when it comes to their own past. And we all tend to do this from time to time. We complain and whine about our circumstances. We somehow make our way out of those grim circumstances. And then when we look back on those circumstances, we look nostalgically and remember how great the old days were in that old situation. We do the same sort of thing. Almost certainly these people were not sitting by meat pots and eating bread to the full when they were slaves, but that's how they misremembered their past. Because at the moment, anything would be better than starving as a large people group, a million people in the desert. It's a little easy for us to be hard on them, but their situation was indeed desperate. Yes, they misremembered their past They waxed nostalgically about their enslavement, but we do the same sort of thing all the time. But despite all of that, despite their criminal forgetfulness, despite their whining and complaining, which was really directed at God, not necessarily Moses and Aaron, despite all of that, God hears them and he does something about it. He provides for them abundantly. You read about that abundant provision in verses 13 and 14, but God says to them even before that, that I've heard the grumbling of the people of Israel say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. That was an important lesson. You would think it's a lesson they had learned up to this point. Because remember all the powerful deeds that God had done for them just weeks ago. Just weeks ago, you had the plagues, God's miraculous intervention. Just weeks ago, God had parted the Red Sea for his people. All these things were in their immediate memory, and yet they still doubted. They were still quick to forget, and they needed to be reminded once again of the great power of their God. Again, we are just like them. You and I, we could probably sit here for hours. If we've been people of faith for a long time, we could probably sit here for hours and talk about all the things that God has done miraculously for us in the past, miraculous provisions, miraculous healings, the ways he's made us whole. We could sit for hours and talk about that. And yet when the heat turns up in our lives, we often find ourselves in the wilderness. Quick to forget about God's provision, quick to forget against his, uh, forget his power, to forget and to doubt him and who he is. Well, the next morning it happened just as God said that it would. In the evening, quail came, covered the whole camp. They didn't have to hunt for it. It was just there. Think about how nice that was. In the morning, manna, uh, a word that literally means what is it. That's what it means in Hebrew. Manna covers the camp, bread from heaven that tasted like honey. 
It would be a foretaste of the, the land flowing with milk and honey, the land of Canaan. And so we see God abundantly provides for his people in the wilderness. But even in this provision, there was a lesson that God wanted to teach his people through all of this, a lesson in the wilderness. And, and that's important for us to remember as well. We often want to rush through our wilderness period, right? God, come and fix everything. Um, let's move out of this as quick as we can. But if we rush through it, sometimes we lose the lessons that God has for us in those wilderness periods. I think it's totally appropriate when life is going difficult to pray that God would relieve us of this difficulty, of this frustration, whatever it might be. But maybe even a more powerful prayer might be, God, yes, relieve me of this, but help me also see the lessons that you have for me in the midst of this really difficult situation. God had lessons for his people, and if the lesson could be summed up, it can be summed up in two words. Trust God. Trust God. And there are three different instructions here related to trust that God gives to them. The, instruct, the first instruction is this. They were to gather only enough manna for each day. If they tried to hoard it, if they tried to, to store up a little bit more each day, it would rot immediately, covered in worms. It would be inedible. And you often wonder, why did God do it this way? For his people. Why did he do it this way? Well, I think it's because God wanted to put them in a position where they had to learn absolute dependence upon him, to put them in a situation where they had to trust God anew and afresh every single morning. See, I think that's what wilderness periods do for them and for us as well. They open our eyes to just how de truly dependent we are upon God even for our very next breath. Wilderness periods show us how important it is to trust him with each and every step. They, they strip away the deception of self-sufficiency and independence that we often live our lives with. They tell us, they remind us that we would probably do anything we can, and I know I'm guilty of this, we want to do everything we can to not have to trust God with our lives. And yet God brings us to moments where he empties us. He brings us to the place where the only thing we can rely upon him, uh, rely upon in life is him. I want you to think about it this way. Imagine for a minute that a, a, a debt collector came to you and said, uh, you owe this great debt. And how we're going to work it out is that you owe us $200.58 every month on this day. And if you don't pay that $200.58 on that day, then we're going to throw you into jail, all right? And uh, you don't have any money, so you're really worried about this. And the day starts to creep where you have to pay this $200.58. And so the night before you're, you owe this debt, you pray to God, God, please provide for this. I don't have this money. And then miraculously and mysteriously, Somebody knocks on your door and you get a gift for $200.58, right? A month goes by, you find yourself in the same situation. You still don't have money. You've got this debt that's due tomorrow of $200.58, and a knock comes at your door, and miraculously, God provides that 
and 58 cents. Month after month goes on and the same thing happens. You're not provided $200.57 or $200.59. It's $200.58 every single time. And after a couple months, you start to wonder, guide, why can't you just give me one big gift of $10,000 and we can be done with it once and for all? Wouldn't that be nice to get that one gift? Wouldn't it be easier? Absolutely it would, but then you wouldn't be forced to trust God each and every month for his provision. You see, that's exactly what is happening to God's people here. They're going to have to trust God anew and afresh every single day. Now, you and I, we do everything we can to avoid scenarios and situations like this, but sometimes God needs to bring us to the wilderness in order to teach us to trust him. So I don't know what it is for you, Maybe it is a financial pressure like the scenario we just spoke about. Maybe it's a work situation that you've been struggling through for years and you just can't ever quite seem to resolve that work situation. Maybe it's a relationship challenge that you just can't quite seem to reconcile with and all you want to do in each one of these situations is for God to step in and fix it once and for all. But maybe he just wants to teach you to trust him every step of the way. That's instruction number one. But the only alteration to this instruction comes through instruction number two, which shows that, yes, they've got to trust God every day, every step of the way. But instruction number two is that they would need an extra measure of trust on the Sabbath, a double dose on the previous day before it. Now, we're going to see more of this later because God's going to make the Sabbath a really big deal for his people, and we're going to see it more even next week. But God's really starting to highlight the importance of this Sabbath rest for its people, a rest where we would need to trust God in the ceasing from our work. Now, that was certainly prevalent in Moses' day, but it certainly is, is relevant in our day as well. Think about our world, the, the sort of work-rest rhythm that's around us as well. Everything in our world today is sort of organized around building our own kingdoms. It's, it's organized around not having to trust God with our lives and, and being able to sort of trust ourselves to make life work on our own. But what we see both here and today is the Sabbath is really a, 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 what some have called a passive resistance to all of this. It declares to the world around us that I'm not going to work today because I'm going to trust God more than I trust myself. A theologian named uh, Walter Brueggemann talks about how the Sabbath is a passive resistance to the culture of now. He argues that we're trained to achieve, to perform, to accomplish, to possess, and the Sabbath day is a day to step out of all of it, even resist it. He writes this, thus I've come to think that the fourth command on the Sabbath is the most difficult and the most urgent commandment in our society because it summons us to intent and conduct that defies the most essential requirements of our commodity-propelled society that specializes in control and entertainment, bread and circumstances. 
And what I would add to this quote is the Sabbath requires a double dose of trusting in God. The world around us tells to only trust in yourself. I'm told only to trust in myself, but the Sabbath teaches me to trust only in God and in God alone. The final instruction, instruction number three, has to do with a perpetual reminder. Verse 32, Moses said, This is what the Lord's commanded. Take an omer of it to be kept throughout your generations, so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. What's Moses' instruction here? He's telling them, when you've entered into the promised land, a land that's flowing with milk and honey, when you're at a place where you think you got it all made and you don't need God anymore because everything's good and we are in the promised land, God wants you to remember the wilderness. Remember the wilderness and remember what happened there. He wanted them to remember that raw and vulnerable time when they had no option whatsoever other than to trust God with their lives. And he wanted them to remember that God always, always comes through for them. So what's the lesson here for them and for us? It's this. In the wilderness, God's people had to learn to trust. They needed the crisis of this circumstance to strip them of their self-sufficiency. And just like Jacob, they had to learn to hold on to God for dear life. So the question remains for us, where might God be asking you to trust him? Where might he be stripping you of your self-sufficiency? Where might he be teaching you about dependence? He may not give you the big picture. In fact, God often doesn't. He may not give you the big picture on your circumstances. He may not give you the big fix of your circumstances either but he will provide for you every single step of the way. Let's pray.